Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel, we have Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf. And we have a special guest this week, and that is Michael Fick. Michael, hello. Hello. How are you guys? We are great. We are great. Thanks for asking. So why don't you tell the people who are listening to this right now why you're on the show and what we are going to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am an Elixir developer. I am based in Toronto, Canada. I work for a company called The Score, uh, which is owned by Penn and Pen Entertainment. Yeah, about I, I've been working there for about three years. And uh, earlier this summer, wrote a blog post about a problem that we encountered trying to query records with JSON, uh, deeply nested JSON beat data in it. And yeah, you guys came across it, invited me on the podcast. So I thought I'd share a little bit more about that. Yep. That sounds about right. That also, that also sounds like something I've read. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So, yeah, uh, I mean, we've heard, we've heard a few times people on the podcast talking about Postgres in general and all the kinds of Postgres. I'm not sure we ever talked about like Postgres and the whole JSON B kind of things in detail. I mean, it's definitely something I've also used myself, but not to the extent you are doing. So <laughs> that was yeah. what kind of caught our eye there. So why don't you give us the, I don't know, like the, the gist of like how you came to work at, at, at the shop? No, at the shop, sorry. At the score. The, the score. score. Yeah. Sorry, um, I don't have enough, didn't have enough coffee today <laughs> yet. Uh, so how you came to work at the score and how kind of you ended up in this situation, right? Where you, you kind of wanted to really dig deeper into querying JSON data inside of Postgres. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of interesting for, well, for myself anyway. Um, several years ago, I was not in the tech field, uh, but I wanted to transition into it. I ended up taking one of those, you know, tech accelerator slash dev bootcamp courses to kind of renew my skills and take a shot at making a career out of it. Part of the reason I, I came across that was because I was looking to learn Ruby on Rails at the time. And I had learned about that from job postings on the score years ago here in Canada there were uh, there was a TV network from the score and uh, I, I was a big fan of that so I you know I was trying to learn Ruby on Rails specifically to get into this company at the time after I finished that like they were looking for people with much more experience than somebody just uh, graduating from a boot camp so I, I actually had to circle back to it years later when uh, when I was better aligned. And when I did circle back, they were using Elixir, which was perfect, which because it aligned exactly with what my interests had evolved into uh, in the oh, tech okay. industry. So definitely, uh, it, it definitely happened to work out very well for me at the time. Did you do you know why they transitioned from Ruby to Elixir? I mean, it's a common story you hear all the time, right? But I'm always interested to hear like details of why specific companies make that transition. Yeah, I mean, it predates me a little bit, but one of the 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 kind of recurring themes that I've heard just kind of through the rumor mill is that there was there was a lot of competition for Ruby developers and there were a few really big players here in the Toronto space. And mm -hmm. again, this was well before like the pandemic and everybody going remote. And some of those uh, larger players are kind of recruiting every Ruby developer that they could they could potentially go for. So it was uh, it was difficult to, to, to compete for talent at the time. I know another, you know, I think there were, were people internally as well who were really pushing for it, who had done their own independent research. And uh, I think this was, you know, six, seven years ago or something like that, maybe. So basically, they, they also changed the Elixir to have an easier time hiring. Yeah. And that is uh, interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I would say that, like, I'm, I'm 
very involved with our interviewing process these days. I do know that a lot of the developers that I speak with who are interviewing with us, they they mentioned that we got on their radar specifically because they were looking for a company using mm. Elixir, like kind of similar to to myself. Like when I circled back to the score a few years into my career, I I was looking at them again specifically because they they came they were one of the local companies who were uh, very prominent in that space. So definitely actually helps with recruiting for some people. Definitely, yeah. That's that's also been my experience to be honest. Like I've also been involved in hiring at different companies, and when you're very outspoken about your usage of Elixir and also say, "Hey, this is like our." number one language then people come to you like specifically especially if you hire remotely then even more so absolutely yeah okay so now how long have you now been at, at the score and how did you end up coming into a situation where you wanted to write complex postgres json queries <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i've been at the score for a little over three years now i just passed the three-year anniversary a few months ago so my current role is as a technical lead for our promotions team. I guess I should give a little bit more background on on that. So we currently have two primary, I guess I should say three primary off offerings, but two that are um, heavily engineering focused, which is uh, we have a media platform, which is like sports betting, or sorry, sports news, sports uh, articles, uh, statistics, stuff like that. So that one is actually, I think, you know, the number one sports media app in Canada, number two behind ESPN in the States, if I'm, if I'm correct and current. But about three years ago, it was right after I joined the score. Uh, we launched a sports betting app that kind of partners with the media app. And that's kind of where my attention has, or my focus has been. I've worked on three separate teams at the score. Uh, in my time that are all different components of that betting app. So the one that I work on right now, as I mentioned, was our promotions team. So within the sports betting landscape, there's a lot of competition. And one of the ways that I try to get a competitive advantage is there's a lot of promotions that are going on across all of the various uh, players in that game. So we're trying to build like a very robust promotion service that allows our marketing team the flexibility to, to try to stand up whatever types of promotional campaigns they want to uh, acquire customers. Also, retention and engagement is huge for us. So uh, that's, uh, that's what we're, we're doing on our team. In terms of how, <laughs> how that uh, relates to Ecto queries and uh, querying JSONB columns. So whenever patrons are in our betting app and they're taking some, they kick off some event, like they're placing a bet or they're in our casino app and they're, you know, maybe trying to, they're playing through like a hand of blackjack or something, or even just depositing funds or something like that. Um, all of these events could potentially lead to uh, getting rewarded for an ongoing promotional campaign that we have going on. So we need to basically be told about those events from the services in our on our platform that are kind of the primary source of truth for each one of them. So we ingest all that that data and then we need to save those uh, particular events locally in our database for uh, later reuse. So they all have some similar columns, like they'll all have their own primary key and they all have a, a date that they occurred, a region in which they, they, they were placed in, one of our operating regions such as New Jersey or Ontario or something like that. And of course, a user ID. But after that, there's a lot of differences in the type of attributes that are sent over for these types of events. Uh, for example, a deposit will have stuff like, you know, the amount that they deposited or the financial provider they used. Whereas a bet will have, you know, which game they're placing a bet on. It'll have, you know, the market, the, if you're betting in, for example, basketball or something like that, you'll have the league that they bet on as well as the sport type, et cetera. So the more complicated events like, sports bets for us, the ones that have far more robust attributes, these ones, and also kind of that the differences between the different types of events having different attributes kind of necessitated us throwing all of that data into a uh, JSON B column for later retrieval and use. But I would say that at least early on, we didn't kind of expect the types of queries that we'd be needing to do with that JSON B data. Um, so we definitely hit a point where we needed to look to look to invest a bit of time into uh, writing proper queries, or at least uh, more efficient queries for fetching and using that data. Yeah, that would have also been one of my kind of my questions later on, like, 
like why Jason B, right? And like also maybe maybe let's do a spoiler here. Would 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 you build it again this way if you had the knowledge of today? So yes and no. I would say right mm -hmm. now that the answer is yes in a way because we've like a lot of the we this is querying data from these has kind of been our white whale where we're constantly trying to make it more performant. Uh -huh. And for a, a little bit of, uh, of additional context with each one of these types of promotional campaigns, uh, we have a set of criteria that we refer to as audience criteria. This is the stuff that you'll have have to done in your past history in order to be eligible to participate within it now. So an example of that might be like, you would have had to not bet on the Super Bowl last year to be eligible for a Super Bowl campaign this year or something like that. Yeah, um, okay. So so we need to look back into your history in order to uh, to see if you're eligible. Now, the, the idea of trying to put all four of those types of actions into one table, it worked for an, us really well initially because a, a very large percentage of our overall users, well over 90% for at least the first year that we were alive, You know, they had, let's say, less than 10 deposits, less than 100 bets total. And the total records in our database wasn't that robust. We were also only in, I think, four or five operating regions. We're, when we opened sports betting in Canada, it there, as I mentioned off the top, we're kind of like our, our footprint is a lot bigger in Canada. So we have a mm -hmm. lot more patrons that came on board our app right away. Uh, but we also opened a casino service, which introduced one of these new types of events that we needed to track. And where a single user might cap out at around like a hundred bets, other users were doing a hundred casino wagers in a single day or something like that. So it grew the, the size of our table, uh, our database table quite a lot. So yes, in that, uh, to answer your original question, will we go this way again? Yes, in some ways, because the queries, like we allow ourselves to be very dynamic with those queries. We've gotten them to actually be pretty performant. The no part stems from just the fact that I'm a little concerned for the future, you know, like, let's say five years down the road, uh, when we're operating maybe in 40 states in the US or, you know, 10 provinces in Canada or something like that, where this table could be a lot bigger. So I, I'm, it's one of the things in a way that kind of keeps me up at night is like, how do we try to make this more efficient? As I mentioned, it's been kind of our white whale. Uh, off the top, we initially just would say, For an individual patron, we're, we're going to fetch all of their events because it wasn't that significant, you know, maybe a hundred records, uh, and then try to see if they qualify for a whole list of promotional campaigns. Now we've had to refactor that, uh, write a significant rewrite, which this blog post was kind of one of the artifacts from where we had to be a little bit more surgical about what we were querying for mm -hmm. each individual campaign. And that that has pros and cons with it. So I, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question very no, correctly, you, but I, yeah, <laughs> I think it was a, I mean, it was a very black or white question. And any kind of senior engineer usually has this. It depends, right? <laughs> so let's see. From, from what, from what exactly. I've heard, it seems to be the old, old okay, how do we scale this kind of situation, right? Like make, make some yeah. simple enough decisions in the beginning and then down the road you realize, oh, okay, we're hitting some bottlenecks. So how do we deal with that now? Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, we might, we're, I mean, some of the stuff that we've been brainstorming is just like, how do we avoid having to run this evaluation mm -hmm. so many times? Or, you know, how do we maybe parallelize it a little bit with using like Elixir tasks and stuff like that? So we're, we're, we're exploring more options always to optimize it right now. It, it still isn't, or I would say it's not, it's pretty acceptable as it is right now, but of course, you know, it'll grow and, and those, the run times will, will increase, of course, with volume. Yeah. I so, find your, your thing very interesting. Well, I figured I'd speak up, you know, give you a break. Right. Cause like, I always had this problem recently with a project where like some, some quick background, the guy who helped design the database schema. Well, he calls everything a collection instead of calling it a table because he comes from MongoDB. And so we always have this object type, which obviously would be a JSONB, aka a map. And uh, we get some pretty interesting things that come up. And I think one of the most interesting things that come up is like relations, actually storing relations within that that thing. And and that's the tricky part, right? Because I would like to be able to say, okay, within this, I'm embedding something and then there's this data structure. But I, I was never able to actually get that thing to work properly. Number one. And number two, I wanted to also make sure that it was unique. And I also couldn't find a way to make that one work either. Like, so 
sometimes like I try to start off with the JSONB and end up just switching to a table because it just became much easier because the structure was already typed anyways, right? Yeah, absolutely. So like uh, with with our use case, we aren't kind of the central source of truth for these events. Other services are like, for example, we have a, a betting team, which is responsible for handling the bet events that get sent to a, the sportsbook bet events. Uh, we'll have a payments team, which is responsible for the deposit events. And they, I'm not like a primary stakeholder for their apps, but I'm pretty sure they're all in that more traditional relational databases that are you know strongly typed. For us, we took this approach with JSON B columns and kind of suffered a little bit of the querying uh, repercussions later on. One of the things that like we learned is, for example, with the sportsbook bet, there is one of the attributes of it that gets stored in that JSON B columns are the legs of the bet. So, for example, if you're if you're not familiar with the uh, sports betting space, you can have a bet that is either a straight bet or a parlay. A straight bet would be like betting on one specific game. A parlay might be like, I'm going to bet on four different games and they all have to win in order for me to win my bet. Um, And you get a much bigger payout, obviously. So when we talk about the legs of a bet, we're talking about each individual game that you're betting on. And so we had to deal with like that list or array or collection within a JSONB field. But similarly, uh, we all like one of the other problems that we encounter with that is that like we can't just look into the JSONB collection of data as you know a, a giant text entity and just look for specific values. We had to be a little bit more surgical with our queries using the example I used earlier where uh, the audience criteria for promotion might be that you did not place a bet on the Super Bowl last year. We can't just look for like an event where it doesn't include a certain value. We had to sort of break, we had to dive into each individual leg of a specific bet and look to see if, you know, that event ID was was present in any of them. Hypothetically, that ID might be the ID for some other data entity somewhere else. So I, I wanted to be very very strict about saying like this has to specifically be and related to one of those event IDs or something like that. We also wanted to use a different operators. So it couldn't just be that it was either there or not there. Some of our fields might be like an integer type. So we'd want to say that it's within this range or, you know, it could be stuff where it is a, a list where we want to say it's either in or not in that list. Kind of some of the the more standard operators that you would use when you're querying data from a relational database. That's kind of where we started trying to learn about some of what some of the operators we could use with with JSONB. We found a function um, that's kind of a, a native function within Postgres called JSONB to record set, where we can look at like taking that array of JSON objects with like however deeply nested it might be within a JSONB column. And we're basically creating like a table in memory based on that collection. That And when, once we do that, we're able to write those Postgres queries on it. But trying to trans, translate that from like raw SQL into uh, Ecto also proved to have a couple of challenges of its own. So so there, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a short journey for us, at least. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, like my personal experience with JSON and JSONB dating Postgres is like, it's, um, I would assume, probably very standard for most people, right? Like, you know, the occasional JSON B column, write some JSON into there, load some JSON into there, end of story, right? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> that's about it. Maybe, maybe dabble a little bit with like, oh, I can clearly like subfields of a JSON. Oh, that's kind of neat, right? But that, that is about it. Um, from also from what I can see in your blog post, you went way beyond that. So, and you kind of mentioned that earlier, like, that this was kind of your white whale, right? So what were some some key insights you had when you were building that, like some of the roadblocks you encountered, some of the things which were surprising maybe, and and what did you do about that? Yeah, absolutely. So just even after we discovered that JSON beach record set function within Postgres, trying to use that within Ecto itself presented a few few challenges. So Ecto is fantastic. Obviously, it's like, I know, you know, it's one one of the 
the favorite things that I get to use when I'm writing Elixir. But, you know, it obviously doesn't have support for every native function for each database. So trying to find a way to coherently write like reusable compo- uh, query, sorry, I guess the correct term is composable queries. So we could reuse that type of function that provided a bit of a challenge. We went to the Elixir forums, actually, and uh, it turned out there were a few other developers who had already come up with solutions for that. So they were able to point us in the right direction. And since posting that, we've had a few more people who've asked questions about that as well, where they tried to implement the same solution and run to errors. But like the syntax is very brittle. So like uh, of just the native SQL syntax is very brittle. So we've tried to post feedback to help them if they can post their code samples. Uh, But one of the problems in particular with it, even after you're kind of aware of how it works is to use JSON beta records that you have to use the as keyword to kind of, uh, to, uh, to basically create that schema in memory that it's going to be cast into. And one of the things with Ecto is that each time you're doing a, a from statement or a join, it automatically appends its own as keyword onto it. So you might be saying like from JSON beta record set, you know, some entity mm-hmm. as whatever name you want to give it. And then Ecto will read, will basically translate into from record beta record set as name and then as its own alias. So those two as clauses in a row um, definitely cause some, some strife. Um, another issue that we encountered is a lot of the use cases for, I uh, like trying to find resources for JSON beta records that specifically with Ecto or in the Elixir landscape wasn't that robust. A lot of the JSON beta record set use cases that we found like stack overflow and blog posts or whatever they they kind of just showed it with raw sql and a lot of the way those were being used was you know select something from a table and then a comma and then json beta record set one of the fields on that table that's another issue with trying to use it within the ecto landscape because you can't have multiple schemas within the same from clause you can only say like from and then some schema you can't chain multiple. So trying to figure out how to get around that was also another challenge that we encountered. Uh, The way that we resolved that one was trying to use uh, a lateral join to to be able to use the record set that's being returned from that function with the original uh, base query. And and, and that worked out uh, pretty well, but it it took a a little bit of um, research and and, uh, experimentation to get there. It's just Part of the reason that I wrote the blog post, actually. So a long time ago, as a junior developer, one of the things that I came across was saying, you know, it's very challenging to land your first job in the industry as a programmer. But one of the things that you can do to try to increase your profile is to write blog posts. And your your audience is basically you from one month ago. Because no matter how far along you are in your career progression or your understanding of technology, first of all, you're never going to know everything, you're probably not even going to come close, which is especially true for me. I'm not even close. But I definitely know more than I knew one month ago. And there's definitely somebody out there who's encountering the same problem that I had a month ago. So if I can write this blog post, and if they're able to find it, helping at least one person is just, you know, kind of a hopefully a good deed, a, a pay it for moment, maybe they're able to help another. I just kind of creates the kind of community we want to see. But but I, I did a lot of my own research looking for other people who had solved this particular problem. And it is a very niche problem, I, which I which I understand. So wasn't able to find anybody within the Elixir community in particular who had solved that one yet. Yeah, that's what I find a lot of is like, I, I used to, and I'm going to get back into making more videos. And I find that some of the videos, I think they're so simple. People like those are the most popular videos because like for things that I think are simple and not so interesting and people struggle with. And I'm sure, I, I guess we're all good at good and bad at different things, right? But uh, yeah, it's amazing. Like I have a video like how to put in uh, Tailwind, right? And now you don't have to worry about that anymore because the new version of Fix is going to have that already in it. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't so simple, but it's actually not that difficult. And I think I watched your video. video about Tailwind actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, to, how to do the whole like pedal stack, like... It's not too bad, but I think the information at the beginning, you had to like go to this, this website and copy that and go to that website and find this and like putting all together is one thing, but now it's like very clear about how to do it. But yeah, like I said, these simple ones are more interesting than the uh, the ones that I think are more interesting myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, blogging or trying to, uh, I, I have a, a YouTube video or two as well. Like I, I remember speaking at a, 
a small local meetup group here in Toronto about five years ago, I think it was. And uh, it kind of, I, I recorded the video of it and threw it up on YouTube afterwards, but it was just kind of going through like one of the problems I faced within, you know, my first year or two as a developer. And I've had people who've reached out to me. I think the video only has like five or 10,000 views even after all these years, but I've had people who've reached out and they said, you know, this was extremely helpful to me. You know, if you're ever looking for work, we're like trying to hire people who have knowledge of that thing sort of thing. So like, you know, sometimes, even though like I, I haven't pursued those opportunities, it is still nice to know that like it was able to help somebody. And sometimes it can even come around to benefit you as well, even though that's not really the primary reason to do it. So you earlier also said that you kind of ended up in a situation where you had to consider performance, right? So what were some of like the, the, the key things you did to, you fiddled with? Also, I mean, I, for example, I know that you can kind of put indexes on JSON B columns, that that is a thing. Is this something you right. explored or like how did you tackle the whole performance angle? Yeah, no, good question. So we haven't put inde indexes or indices on JSON B columns just yet. Just, well, we have one JSON B column that tries to be embedded schema for multiple types. So we haven't gone that route what we we did use indices though on some of the more baseline fields that are in the table just to try to preface it by saying that there are some other things like for example we're always going to be adding the user id that into a query because we only care about the events that relate to a specific user so we will index that or you know we'll often be indexing or uh, filtering by a specific region, which is, again, another top-level field. So we'll index that one as well or, or try to make some of the uh, combination inde indexes. But that's that's kind of where we initially went to optimize. Another one that I uh, alluded to earlier. So again, if we have like 20 sort of promotional campaigns that are running in production at once, right now it would evaluate like each of them sequentially. We did look at spinning up processes in Elixir to try to evaluate each of them independently. However, because we receive these events via Kafka, and there's a, a lot of them coming in, especially when it, like a large game ends or something, we run the risk of basically trying to use too many database connections with that. So that's a problem we're currently looking to solve to speed up this evaluation. So again, if any of your listeners have encountered a problem like that, where you have far too many uh, database connections being spun, uh, being used in uh, in Elixir processes. I'm, I would be happy to, uh, to if they could reach out and collab with me on that one. But uh, that's that's some of the, the, I would say, more challenging aspects right now that we're currently facing to try to further optimize it. Like we're, one of, one of the other issues that we have is just kind of more of a, an organizational issue is trying to balance uh, refactoring this particular aspect of our service, which I, I know the developers, uh, those of us who are on production support and stuff like that, we really want to try to optimize that and increase throughput versus, you know, kind of the building in new features, you know, offering new rewards to our users who complete these promotions and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it works, it, it works pretty well, but we know that down the line, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. So trying to like offset the logistics of, of that is uh, is another challenge in and of itself. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a... Yeah, it's I'm one just of those. About your database you know, problem, I'm curious. Have you ever tried using a transaction? Yeah. Would that kind of solve it? Because I thought that's all using one connection. I don't know, just think. So a transaction that. for like all of the processes, they'd all be. If, I don't know. If you, yeah, or if you had some, or did like a large query at the beginning. I don't know. I had to know more about your problem because it's something. So from my, from my understanding, 
from my understanding, it seems that, that you kind of, if, if too many events come in, you might spawn too many processes and then you kind of exhaust the, the pool of connections, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like we could have, we can throttle the number of events that are coming in, but like if we wanted for each, let's say we're throttling at 50 events per second or something Mm. like that, but we don't have an upper limit on the number of promotional campaigns our marketing team can set up through our, our service. Mm. So let's say they're running 25 campaigns for each one of those 50 events, we would have to spin up 25 processes to see if, they qualified for any of those campaigns. So, you know, 50 times 25 per second, well, it would be a lot of database connections that would be used. But if, if it was possible to use them all in the same tra- transaction, that would be interesting. The, off the top of my head, the only concern that I would have is if for any reason, one of those processes failed, would it roll back the whole transaction? Probably. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was mostly, I mean, I, I would like, I mean, now we get kind of into hearsay land, right? I mean, I don't know, me by definition, obviously not supplement picture. I, from all of what you told me, I'm left wondering is this maybe something Broadway could help solving if you go like about it a different way, right? Where you said, yeah, set up um, the, your consumers in Broadway, your producer consumers in like such a fashion that like uh, does support partitioning and maybe you can partition yeah. by, um, by how how did you say from problem promotions campaigns i guess mm-hmm. maybe that would be an interesting angle but <laughs> i don't know it's your, it's your, it's your code base, right but that, that, yeah, that no, was like, yeah. that was what about my, my brain was like going to like hey this, this sounds like something broadway could be good at <laughs> yeah actually we we are using broadway for ingesting those events by kafka but i but i i think what you're referring to is kind of like producing them into a a kafka topic and each you, know, I yeah. mean, you have you have a part- part- partitioning capabilities of broadway i'm not sure if yes. i mean i don't know details about your particular campaigns and anything if you can even partition events by particular campaigns or if all events are relevant for all campaigns that kind of thing but that could mm-hmm. at least already allow to, to do to uh, diverge the data flow so if you always put, put campaign only certain events are capable right. and then you also don't run into a situation where you, where you exhaust the database connections because you can just okay we have that many campaigns each of those cons- producer consumers they pull in 50 events whatever per per batch and then they have a database connection from which they can run um but based on i'm actually interested in something else because you said from what Everything you've been telling us, I get the impression that like the, the the bottleneck at the moment isn't even Postgres. It's more of okay, you get the different events and you kind of want to handle that for different users. And how can you do that without doing everything sequentially? So, is is that right? Like post, post, the whole Postgres JSON thing has just been talking along happily. <laughs> so, um, yeah, actually, our since we did this uh, this migration from kind of mm-hmm. uh, what we had like as a v1 model of just fetching all of the events per user that actually when we had less events per user scaled very well uh in a way because we could have as many promotional campaigns as we wanted but we were just evaluating them all in memory once we had fetched them all um moving on to this current uh or or v2 model where we're doing these dynamic queries per each campaign that one is um, potentially bottlenecked if we were to run uh, a very large amount of um, uh, promotional campaigns. So we do try to do some stuff to filter that a little bit where, um, and, and we're working, at, uh, one of the members of my team right now is working on um, a way, first of all, to do some caching where we won't have to necessarily, we basically determine like, you know, a, a delta between your last action and your current mm-hmm. one to see mm-hmm. if it could potentially even allow you to you know qualify for let's say seven out of the ten running promotions or something like that um and and if not then we don't even try to run that uh that evaluation um but yeah the individual queries that we're running right now aren't actually uh, a bottleneck it's just kind of like how do we uh how would we want to set up trying to uh try to evaluate multiple campaigns uh, if there are, you know, a, a large number of campaigns um, and a large number of users that are, that will all hopefully be using our app in the next couple of years. Yeah, makes sense. You, about the, what, what kind of scale are we talking about here? Like, I mean, you said 
for 25 campaigns earlier, right? Like that kind of situation. But then how many events yeah. are you are you processing roughly per second, for example? Um, Just ballpark so, numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, for example, right now when... Um, uh, for the NFL season here just started uh, on Sundays at, you know, when the, the games are pretty, uh, the, the, the way the NFL sets up their schedules, the games start at, you know, 1, 4, and 7 o'clock Eastern time, which, and then they end at 4, 7, and 10 o'clock Eastern time. So at 4, 7, and 10 o'clock, we receive a large number of, uh, of updates, basically, to individual bets. So, um, We'll we'll have the original bets on their place, but then we receive an updated version of each of those bets once they've settled or there's some progression in their bet. So that the volume at those peak times um, can be anywhere from let's say twenty thousand messages that are all instantly produced from another service, which we mm -hmm. consume mm -hmm. anywhere upward of like you know a hundred thousand at the moment. Um, yeah. Okay. So I mean, so, it, it is a non-trivial load. <laughs> it's just yes, exactly. It's crazy scale, but it's also not nothing to scoff at. Exactly, and like right now, um, just for context, um, I, I mentioned off the top that uh, our company had been purchased by Penn Entertainment, but I think I did about a year ago. So Penn also um, has a second sportsbook app that they operate in the U.S. and will be. Uh, trying to use the same tech uh, infrastructure for both apps uh, down the road. Um, so our app is only operating in Canada since mm -hmm. that acquisition. And so we only have to worry about, at the moment, you uh, patrons in one specific province in Canada uh, that, we're, um, that we're running in. However, they have, I think, uh, the, the other app, um, which will be onboarding, uh, Barstool Sportsbook, um, they are operating in something like, you know, 15 to 20 states in the U.S. already. I'm sure by the time we get it all on the same platform, it'll be several more. Um, and hopefully here in Canada, we open up in more provinces. So the volume right now at, you know, peak event blasts of 20 to 100K is one province in one country. Um, that's going to grow a lot as well. So the scale is, you know, we, yeah, we know that the scale is going to be um, not just hypothetical, but uh, it'll be a rapid uh, increase, which we're we're going to have to try to, uh, you know, run load testing and uh, to try to uh, experiment a little bit with some of the ways that we can try to optimize this down the road. But I, but I still think it's interesting to hear that. And that is a story I feel I'm, I'm hearing over time is that when it comes to scale, rarely something such as Postgres becomes the bottleneck. But I mean, like you said, okay, if, if we get crazy scale, then maybe, yeah, we have to look into that. But I mean, mm -hmm. all of what we're talking about has been, okay, like how, how do we basically use these queries in Postgres if, if efficiently, right? Like how do we distribute work over the different kind of database connections and not how do we speed up this query, which is <laughs> super interesting for me to see because I mean, I, I, I do remember in the past people like, ah, oh, what, what if you want to swap all your database, right? Like all oh, that was kind of she bangs people talking about that. So, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what if it no longer scales? But in my experience, Postgres has always been there to save the day. <laughs> like it, it, it was never the thing which was the bottleneck. Or if it was, then like some, I mean, I, I had one scenario where we had one query happening in one of our apps a few years back, which was super slow. It was super weird. Like some of the queries to the same software were like super fast and others mm -hmm. were super slow. And it turned out it was like the query planner occasionally because we didn't do the uh, index quite right, sometimes did a full table scan instead of using the index. But like as soon as we figured that out and figured, okay, this is how we set it, have to set up the index, it was again, pfft, like no problem, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that is, it's an incredibly uh, performant technology. We, we yeah. have the, the only the issues that we've had have basically come through, again, our own you know, errors, right? Like where we'll try again, where we're fetching all of the, those user actions. I mentioned yeah, like yeah. our original model was, you know, most of our users, 95% would fall into that hundred or less actions. Yeah, yeah. That was most of the users. We did have some users who were like, had a betting history that had tens of thousands of records, yeah, okay. right? So try to fetch all of those was definitely a user error on our part for Postgres. Um, 
this one is is nice though because like as long as our audience criteria i I mentioned in the article some contrived examples where we might want to say um you know that the user hadn't plus placed a bet on the super bowl plus the user signed up within this date range and um you know uh and the users made at least five deposits of over this amount or some, something like that. Um, so these are multiple rules that we have to try to, each one of them would have their own query. But at the end of the day, we're only, you know, for N amount of rules that each one of our queries has a limit of N to try to just make sure there's a, that each each rule is being satisfied by a different uh, mutually exclusive action or event. Um, so yeah, when you're trying to fetch just, you know, one, three, five particular records out of this table and you're being surgical about it. I mean, Postgres queries are light and fast. It's, it's at that stage, it, it isn't even close to a bottleneck. Oh yeah, I've strictly changed to moving a lot of logic over to Postgres and it's made life much, much easier. So much happier about that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm- a lot of the things that, like we, we have several internal use cases where we'll set up like Postgres triggers and stuff like that, which you know, a different topic entirely, but, you know, leveraging that functionality from Postgres just opens up a lot of doors for you as well. Yeah. You don't have to try to worry about it at the application level. Yeah, it's also, I mean, if you ever get to a, like a performance issue with Postgres, then you can still, there are still tools to reach for, right? There are materialized views, which are insanely powerful. I mean, they're a yes. bit of work to set up, but if you have a proper setup, then that can really push you really, really, really far. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that's like actually only, something we've looked at too. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I have like materialized views or something, which is like still in, in my book of, of my tool. But it's like okay, I, I've used it in the past, and it was always, I mean, I wouldn't say a pleasure to use, but it always did the job, you know. Yes. So, and I mean, like the only case where I actually ended up where Postgres became a, a performance issue was in this like in a prototyping thing back in my previous job, where it, we turned out, hey, we kind of have graph data. And we try to put graph data into Postgres and then to try to curate it recursively. That does not work well. <laughs> but then we ended up using a graph database. <laughs> so, yeah, the wrong wrong tool for the job. But uh, you, usually tabular data, relational data, Postgres really, uh, uh, unless you end up with crazy scale, it's not, kind of, it's not the bottleneck you have to deal with. That's definitely my experience. Okay, yeah, cool. I, I I'm left wondering, like I mean, from from all you, you told us, uh, and like we had, that is kind of I don't know, like a bit of a I wouldn't say pet peeve, but, uh, it's a bit of a re- recurring theme in this podcast. Uh, how have you at any point any point considered to like to do something like event sourcing? Because I mean, to a certain degree, you kind of are, right? <laughs> yeah, um, we actually did look into that a little bit. Um, we. Actually, the the first version of our app before we went to production uh, was actually looking at uh, or was leveraging commanded. Oh, so okay. Was, yeah, we were ingesting it's, uh, these events. Sasha's favorite. <laughs> you know what? I, favorite, but... <laughs> I I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was an incredibly uh, elegant framework. But so we did it after I think when we were about two to three months into our project. We had found that a lot of the, so one of the drawbacks with Commanded is that I, it doesn't allow to nicely do read operations from the database during the pipeline, or at least based on my my knowledge. And again, I've only used it for a couple of months, so I might have this very much wrong. But you basically had to do read operations before issue dispatching commands to yeah, your, your pipeline. And a lot of times we didn't, we for our particular application, we didn't know what data we needed to fetch until we were late later on down the pipeline. So that about two to two to three months into the project, we did a team retrospective on what we thought of Commanded and what we thought and how how we how we thought it fit for our particular use case. And you know, we gave the team you know a heads up of about a week, like this is the meeting we're going to have. Please all come with some notes on what you thought and we'll compile them and just, you know, come up with those notes beforehand so that in the meeting, you're not being influenced necessarily by the person who spoke before you. And I, it was it was unanimous on the team that like it didn't fit our use case. Um, some people like the framework. Some people didn't. Like I said, I loved it. I would love to 
someday get to work on a on a service that uses that in the best possible uh, with, with the best possible use case for it but unfortunately it didn't fit ours there there is another team at discord that uh, that is using it and they um, they just went to production on a, a rather large scale application so definitely there there are use cases where it would fit yeah uh, I, I get it. I also used to work with an application which was using commanded, and it's great when like your use case fits into the opinionated kind of area commanded is uh, is taking place in. And I mean that that, that that is commanded. Commanded is very opinionated, and I, mean, I have not I have no problem with technology being opinionated because I'm, I myself I'm the author of some open source libraries which are super opinionated. Um, <laughs> but when you like sometimes I do wish there would be like command that would be composed of like smaller things. I mean, you have the event store library, but that is like a lot more low level than, than what command mm-hmm. offers. And where you could, I don't know, like maybe do a bit more of a pick and choose where you say, okay, like for my particular use case now, I'm actually interested in commands maybe, right? I, maybe, maybe I just want to handle, want to emit events and I want to, to consume events, right? <laughs> Please give me that part of command or other <laughs> way around. In this case, I don't want to do event sourcing, but I like the whole aggregate command uh, emitting thing. Maybe give me that part, right? And that is, that has also been my experience. Like it, it gets painful, but I think it's the truth of any kind of software out there when you try to use it in ways which that particular piece of technology, in this case, command is not meant to be used. Right. Yeah. I mean, I actually uh, had a very different opinion when I, along the same lines of that, though, um, when we were using commanded, I, one of the first things I noticed is like all of the dependencies we needed to add to use commanded. Uh, so there was, you know, as you mentioned, the event store, there's commanded the base library, commanded ecto uh, projections. And, you know, there was, I think a couple of more, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you're you're right in the base library it does kind of have all of those constructs for projection or like base projections or aggregates or process managers all kind of bundled up into that uh that one library yeah like i, I mean I, I have worked on one app where i was like oh my if i could now take this whole aggregate idea and like emit events and do event handlers but don't do co- commands because they're completely overkill in this case that would be amazing. Like, <laughs> it is so not possible for my, for at least for my, my take. So, um, but I mean, like I said, it's a opinionated piece of technology. It's everybody has their own right to do opinionated libraries. I just sometimes I, I yearn for something which is like taking a space in between. You know, like between okay, but maybe a lot more low level event store, and then uh, something more full blown opinionated like commanded, and something which is more like on a level between where you can pick and choose, but eh, we aren't there. It doesn't exist. And that is like, <laughs> that is the downside of something like the Elixir community. I mean, we, we, it's still somewhat niche. And I mean, like earlier you said, you didn't find any, any blog posts uh, about particular combination of like JSON B2 record set with Elixir. Yeah. Well, it's still somewhat niche. That's kind of what, what you get into uh, in, in, in using this technology. Absolutely. So, I mean, Sometimes you literally are the first person to do this in this piece of technology. <laughs> Which is, you know, has pros and cons, obviously, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've never, this was my first time writing a blog post about a, a problem like this that I had solved where, you know, I thought, okay, this might actually be new, new content yeah. where nobody yeah. had not just solved that. Pro- I'm sure people have solved that problem but nobody had written about it so that uh, at least that I could find, right? Whereas, you know, when, if, for example, when I was working primarily in the Ruby world or I used to do front-end stuff with Ember or React, like all those problems had already been solved. So in a way being, you know, a little bit of a, a I guess you could say like a in, an, in a technology that is st- still allows for pioneer work a little bit is kind of kind of exciting. I agree, but, but sometimes it can also be annoying. <laughs> Hundred percent, yes. <laughs> so, so Alan, any 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 pioneer stories from your side? I'm actually curious now since we're kind of like ended up here. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about with JSONB, right? I'm not even JSONB. I'm like any kind of like situation where you ended up. Hey, maybe I, I, it seems that I'm the first time, first person trying to solve this, or at least the first person trying to solve this, and nobody else has spoken about because this is some, definitely something I've experienced in Elixir with like be more yeah. niche. I think there is like one thing. I mean, there was one thing where I piggybacked another guy's idea where I used Postgres, uh, PubSub 
for broadcasting. Uh, so we had a chat system I created and my, the guy wanted to have a, a, where a way that we can, when you delete a message to, to broadcast that. Okay. Simple. Right. But the problem is that if you, you can reply to other messages. And so we had a relation. So if you delete the message, it could cause, potentially cause a big chain. So I ended up creating a function that would basically broadcast with PubSub using Postgres for every single record that was deleted. So it, was, it wasn't like brand new thing, but it was definitely an interesting idea. Uh, it got me onto a podcast to talk about it. So, but um, yeah, nobody yeah, cool. talked about this exact situation, but using PubSub from Postgres, people did talk about uh, in yeah, the yeah. It's also something I want to explore a bit more because I feel there's, I mean, like, there's a whole bunch of, solutions already out there in the Linux community revolving around Postgres. I mean, Oban is, for example, a great ex uh, is, is a great example, right? But PubSub so far, at least as I know, is still, and if you ask me, criminally under, underutilized. <laughs> uh, we actually were in a similar situation at my current job where we want to have like a simple event emitting and consumption solution. And there were a few guarantees we wanted around that. And one of that was, If I emit an event, I want a guarantee that this is like really persistent now, right? Like I don't lose it after that point. So when I, for example, I get a request and I say, I do some work and then I have, I say, okay, this emit an event and the request returns 200 or whatever. I want the guarantee that this event now ends up being processed at some point. And surprisingly, there are some event bus solutions on Elixir, but that particular guarantee, none of them give. <laughs> so <laughs> we ended up, okay. Yeah, we ended up kind of building our own with, in this case, Google pops up because we were also considering, hey, we already use Postgres. Google has Postgres has Google has pops up. Why don't we use that? But the overhead of doing that was like, it's not worth it, you know, not worth mm -hmm. it. And there's nothing out there. It is not that I know. There's nothing out there which is at least has production capabilities. There are some, some libraries I did find, which are last updated for years with free commits, that kind of situation, right? <laughs> But there's nothing out there where you say, hey, Google, Uh, hi, hey, Postgres has this pops up thing. It's probably good enough for getting started, right? So why don't why don't we build an event bus around that? Yeah. And then again, working yeah. back Elixir niche that sometimes happens. Honestly, yeah, kind of tying the last two topics together. One of the things that I was thinking about when when you're asking the question about like pioneering or, or putting out content that uh, that is hasn't yet been covered in the community or you know, at least not extensively. That's actually one of the, the things that came up a lot in our team's retro when we were looking at um, evaluating commanded for our use case. Like we, we found that the author of the library is extremely responsive and helpful and yeah. has put out some like really good content. But one of the problems that we had was, you know, like what happens if he becomes less responsive in the future? You know, like he's kind of the primary driver of that framework, which is, a little, which is very unfortunate, right? It's an extremely cool technology, but I, we couldn't find a whole lot of other people who had written on the topic or, you know, I've encountered problem X with while using commanded, can you, uh, and here's how I solved it kind of thing, right? So like if we had very, you know, niche problems within commanded, every niche problem seemed that it hadn't yet been written about. So the, the community support around it wasn't what we, um, we would have loved to have seen uh, just yet. Although, again, it was, this was a couple of years ago, very early into the framework, et cetera. We just, we couldn't really take that risk at the time, I would say. Has you guys yeah, ever guess... played around with, with, sorry, with policies in Postgres before? Never. I'm never. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like I mean, you it's permissions basically and everything, right? Like that kind yeah, of. Yeah, like, so also like you can, where you can do column level permissions also that, that stuff or uh, for what sure exactly you can do. There's to? yeah, Superbase using this thing called role level security RLS, and it's like a way where you can yeah, within a database you can start plugging in like if a user is whatever. Like I'm really curious to check it out because that I think may be better than writing my own code, right? If I can get a policy that's actually correct. That'd be really nice to have. I was just curious if anybody ever tried it out yet. It's like, what is it? it's like Postgres has got too many things in it, and we're barely <laughs> even scratching the surface of it. And I feel a little bit sad uh, about that. Yeah, but that, that is why I'm super interested in like stories like your Michael, right? Where you, where you actually do dig into some of these details. And as I said earlier, I would love to get like a lightweight event bus implementation with Postgres, where it just says "fuck it," it's using Postgres, and if it's not good enough, do something <laughs> else, right? But It's there. It works. You already have Postgres, probably. Why don't use this, right? <laughs> yep, hundred percent. Yeah, 
Uh, no, I, I feel the exact same way, Alan, as well. Like, uh, there's, there's so much functionality there. And I almost feel a little ridiculous every now and then when I'm, you know, explaining a problem or asking for help. And then somebody's like, oh, there's this thing in Postgres. Like, why didn't you, why didn't you just use that? And that's like, you know, it, I didn't even know about that. The library is just uh, of stuff you can use with it is huge. And they're just adding on more stuff and taking out things. I think that nobody really ever uses or I don't know if they actually ever take anything out. Like they still have that JSON column. And it's only there for like legacy. And they always say use <laughs> JSON B, right? So they seem to just be adding stuff, but never taking anything out. And for some reason, it actually keeps getting better and better, right? I think 14 has also got a lot of really good improvements in it compared to like 13. Yeah. I feel like Postgres, I mean, usually people say there's technology which people hate and there's technology which people don't use, right? There's this, I probably botched it, but something like that, right? And I feel Postgres is doing that miracle thing of like, it's used a lot and most people like it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how they're doing it, but that is my experience with it. The only thing that I, I would add about that is like, I think Postgres is very well loved, or liked or loved, but I, I feel like that it might be a little bit criminally underserved because of how underutilized like the functionality is. Yeah, right? yeah true. There is some annoying things within Postgres, but there's ways to get around stuff. Like, for instance, if you want to sort, so I want to sort like strings or sort uh, a sort of column, sort records by a column, right? And so there are floor numbers. So you got floor one, two, three, you know, 20, 30, 90, whatever. But the problem is that because of the way the numbers are and the way the strings are by default, like you're going to get things not sorted correctly, where it's like you have, if you put zero one, then you're going to sort it correctly. But if you just put a one, yeah. it's actually to come after, I think, 11 or something. So oh, like, yeah. but there's actually a way to solve that, that I found out about. I forgot what's called, like, it's called a collation. If you create a special collation, you can do it. Yeah, that's something I'm, I'm going to have to do for a project, but I just haven't gotten to it. Like, basically, we know the issue's there. We're going to release it soon to some public testers, and we still haven't solved it yet, but we know how to solve it. But that, that again, this is one of those things where it's like, if it's another database, I don't know if there's going to be a way to solve it. But Postgres has this thing called collations, which you can actually help to solve the problem. Yeah, I think like there's, there's, if I'm not mistaken, I have not actually delved into this, but I think that there's various plugins that you can just add in for Postgres if you happen to find one of those, like a, a niche use case, right? Like I, I might be completely off base on this just because, as I said, I haven't used it. But I remember looking up something around user emails and trying to ensure uniqueness and i think that there were plugins to talk about ci text yeah there's that but i yeah yeah yeah. the other thing i was looking for was like something around like wildcards and emails to prevent you know maybe the same user from signing up with like a bunch of different wildcards stuff like that i think that might be available as well but uh again could be very wrong that's very outdated (laughs) uh, very outdated memory but uh i like that the the uh you know the functionality to just add in more uh exists within it as well within that ecosystem. And I also find it weird that you can also extend it with like post-GIS. So you got like a GIS database and also yeah. a time series database with timescale DB. It's just crazy what you can do. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's also, I mean, I, I actually use the, the GIS part of things already and worked like a job. Like I did the job. I mean, like we were not doing anything super crazy, but for, for, for what we were trying to do, that was just was pleasant to use. Okay. Super um, crazy. I think you could probably handle it, to be honest. That Post.js is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> I think I did one book I was going through, and it's like the first chapter was like, okay, this query is going to help you to find all the McDonald's that are along a five-mile stretch of road. I'm like, what? <laughs> and the query was very small. And I was like, all right, this is pretty powerful stuff. Okay, folks. Awesome. Uh <laughs> we are we're kinda kinda diverging, so I mean which is okay, but I think we can slowly come to an end. So uh, Michael, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, how can they best do that? Yeah, so they can reach me on LinkedIn, I would say is the uh the best way. Also reachable on Twitter at Michael underscore Fick. Last name is spelled F-I-C-H, so not exactly as it sounds. But yeah, definitely the best way to uh to reach me. Great. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Then I would say let's move to picks. And since I'm moderating Ellen, why don't you start? 
should know it's going to be B. So yeah, of course. <laughs> It's been a while since we have a rust pick, so I still don't have a rust pick today. But I wanted to actually, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, so they finally started posting at least some of the videos. Actually, there's not that many up for Lexicon. That's a little bit surprising uh, for that Lexicon. But I wanted to to really pick out uh, Chris McCord's talk. I don't know if we anybody picked that one yet, but what's happening with Phoenix is really awesome. I actually wanted to tag along with this one. So what I actually did today was I cloned Phoenix and I ran the installer locally. I tried Master Branch and it didn't work. All the changes that I saw, like the Tailwind, stuff like that, is not on Master Branch yet. It's on another branch called, I think, CM Tailwind or something. Uh, but actually, I cloned Michael Crumb's branch and pulled his out and actually started taking it apart and actually taking a look at what they're doing. Because I was kind of curious about how they're using Tailwind and how they set up everything. And it's pretty cool. So it's giving me a lot of cool ideas for our actually existing projects about things I want to do. So I think check out his talk and also, also check out the work they're doing uh, before it's released. They have instructions about how you can do it. Really copy paste. I just copy paste two lines once I got the project and actually got a simple project using their style. I did the, what do you call it? The um, the generator for the for the authentication because now it works with LiveView. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, the resource one, and just start taking a look around, start poking around. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely super cool to see how how, how these things are evolving. And I also feel that Phoenix is really getting to a point where it has its own unique identity, right? Like it started off as something which is very much inspired by Rails, and by now it's really Phoenix is something of its own. And, and I like to see that. Yeah, I like the relationship we have with the uh, Tailwind people. I don't know how close they are, but it seems like. A lot of things they do are like really working together with Phoenix team. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I, I see it because I'm in the Phoenix community. Like they work a lot with React and with Phoenix, I think, um, for some reason. And I think the, uh, the Tailwind guys have been uh, pretty big with actually reaching out to several different, or, or I don't know if they reach out or have been reached out to, but they've been uh, working closely, it seems, with like a lot of the people responsible for maintaining different frameworks. Like I remember, you know, seeing some stuff in I think the Laravel community and stuff like that, as well as, you know, working with Ember, I believe it was, you know, there, there was a, a prominent developer in the Ember community who was creating a plugin for the Tailwind library. So they, they're working on that, I believe. But yeah, it's really uh, one of the nice things about that framework, uh, Tailwind in particular, is just like how proactive uh, they uh, their whole team is with um, helping you solve problems or trying to solve them for you before you even think of them. Like we we use it inter- for internal tooling a lot of the score, and they uh, you know with their Tailwind UI components and stuff like that, it's been super helpful for just bootstrapping like internal tooling and, and stuff that we need. Then, then let me go real quick. I have only one pick this week, and I was kind of funny. Like last week, I said I ah, I don't have any picks this week, and then after I basically did on my microphone again, I was like, oh wait, there's this one thing I could have picked up, but nah, okay, nah. so I'm gonna pick it this week, <laughs> and I want to pick some. Headphones, or rather earplugs, I recently got. The Genki Waveform. None of you probably heard of it. It's Genki is like a company, and I've been following for a while now. They're doing audio equipment uh, for gamers. And the very first thing they did was a Bluetooth accessory for the Switch. That was before you could pair Bluetooth headphones with a Switch, which you now can. Um, but you could like plug it into a Switch, and then you could have like very low latency Bluetooth connection for your headphones, which was amazing for me back then because I was still uh, commuting daily. So having my Switch with my Bluetooth headphones, yeah, great. But they are doing a whole lot more now, and they have these um, earplugs, which are kind of like, I think, I, I, I don't know how they're called, the Apple ones, I don't know. I'm not in the Apple ecosphere, sue me. <laughs> but uh, they are very much also designed around being capable of calling multiple audio connections at once. So you can actually, what you can do with them, you can connect them, for example, to your PlayStation or whatever, to your Switch or something, so your gaming console, and also to your phone if you, for example, have Discord running on them and do both at the same time, play both at the same time. And also, um, they if you they have like a smart case with it. And if you connect your phone to the smart case, you can also run like a voice connection through that without lo- losing quality. Uh, which is usually something with, with any kind of headphones, right? As soon as you have like a microphone activated and it goes both ways, it sounds like shit. <laughs> and this thing, those things don't. So it's been a pleasure using them. I mean, I'm, I'm gaming is a big part of my life and that is definitely something I actually haven't used this dual stream connection yet, but a part of that, they're just, they're 
pleasure to use. They're not super cheap, but if you are looking for something which is like lightweight, uh, easy to carry around, supports all kinds of gaming habits, then I just can't recommend this these enough in the company in general. So yeah, Genki Waveform. There's gonna be a link in the in the show notes, and that's that's my pick for this week. Michael, do you have any picks for us? Yeah, gonna go in a little bit of a different direction. So since I work for a company in sports and sports are a big passion for me, uh, especially local sports. Yeah, I'm going to just uh, give a shout out for uh, Toronto sports. So right now, for example, basketball and hockey are starting soon. The Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs, huge fan of both. Really looking forward to, um, you know, I think exciting seasons for both teams. So hopefully I'm not being too naive on that one. Uh, but also, yeah, baseball, the company I work for, The Score, is a sponsor for the, uh, or I guess a partner of the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're about to enter a playoff run uh, after a, a really exciting season. So I'm I'm uh, very much looking forward to to uh, to that and, and getting to a few games soon. So yeah, a uh, bit of a different direction than you guys went in. So hope that's no all right. Problem. That's, uh, that's that's what picks are for. You can pick literally anything. If you want to pick a happy cloud in front of your window, you're free to do so. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> okay, Michael, it was a pleasure having you. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed the show as well, dear listeners. And tune in next time with another episode of Felix to Mix. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.